Before we get in the Word, I want us, of course, to remember Ida Hopkins' family. As now Ida is no longer suffering as she's directly in God's presence. But her family's hurting. And I, I was just sitting here before I came up in prayer and thinking, Ecclesiastes 7 verse 1 says, The day of death is better than the day of birth. And you think, that's a weird thing to say. But why is that? It's because the person who walks with God and has done that for many years speaks his or her own funeral by the life that was led. And I was like that. And I pray today as a family's gathered and going to get arrangements made, they can sit back and think about their mom and her walk with God. I remember years ago she was sick in the hospital and I went to see her and it struck me. She said, my husband died years ago when I was younger. Had five kids to raise by myself and God was faithful. And I figured a long time ago, if God's faithful enough to get me through every day in raising five kids, I can be faithful enough to show up at church a few times a week. Wow. Just kind of, you know, just a simple, I appreciate that about her. We are in a passage this morning that is, if not the most well-known passage in Abraham's life, near the top. In Genesis chapter 22, as we talk about the importance of surrender. And uh, so turn with me, 22, we're going to read the first 14 verses from in God's honor this morning. So I ask you to stand in honor of our God. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we'll come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering, placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over, took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham 
called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Let's pray. Oh, Master, we come to you hard to surrender for us, Lord. But there's no better place to be, God. Thank you for Abraham, his example of faithfulness, Lord. He was far from a perfect man, but he trusted you here. So I pray you open up your word to us, Father, as we look at your your word. And may we be drawn closer to Jesus as a result. In the wonderful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. You look at this section of scripture and it's like, why would God ask Abraham to do this? And it says that very first verse, a test. There was a test involved. It made me think of years later as God's people ended up wandering in the wilderness for 40 years as they didn't have the same type of trust when the test came. It says in Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 2, Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years to humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your hearts, whether or not you would keep his commands. Will you trust the Lord? They ended up wandering in the desert for 40 years because they didn't trust. Abraham trusted the Lord and God provided. So that's the two choices for us. Do we trust the Lord and wait for his provision? Or do we wander in the wilderness? Do we wander in the desert and miss God's blessing that he wants to pour out? Hebrews 11 verse 6 says, And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. It pays to follow God. He rewards those who seek him. He does not leave us without loving us. He's there. The truth of the matter is, though, we are all prone to cling and to clutch. We take the gifts God's provided and we hold on tightly. Afraid that we'll lose those gifts. Afraid we'll lose what is so precious to us. And what is so beautiful in this text today is what was so precious to Abraham. He didn't cling and clutch. He surrendered. It's just amazing to look at that because that's not our nature. Maybe you've heard the toddler's rules. This is more like we usually are. Rule number one, if I want it, it's mine. Rule number two, if it's in my hand, it's mine. Rule number three, if I can take it away from you, you got it. It's mine. Rule number four, if I had it a little while ago, it's mine. If it's mine, it must never appear to be yours in any way. Number six, if we're building something together, all the pieces are mine. Seven, if it just looks like mine, it's mine. If it looks, if I think it's mine, it's mine. And then number nine, if I give it to you and change my mind later, it's mine. The last one, once it's mine, it will never belong to 
to you. So easy. Not to be a toddler, but to be an adult with that attitude. God, you've given this to me. It's mine. I don't care if someone else touches it or someone else borrows it or somebody else uses it. It's mine, God. It belongs to me. We do that with our possessions. These possessions are mine. I'm going to cling to them. I'm going to clutch them. We do that with our occupation because it identifies who we are. This is the kind of job. This is who I am. It's my identity. It's mine, Lord. We cling and we clutch. We do that with our dreams and our hopes. We have this picture of the way life is supposed to be and, and where we're going to end up and how everything's going to work. And, and it's a dream that we cherish and we cling and we clutch. And then finally we cling and clutch with people. Maybe it's our parents. Maybe it's our brothers or sisters. Maybe it's our children, grandchildren. Maybe it's friends. It's tough when people that we count on, for whatever reason, disappoint us or they're gone. They're in God's presence. I think of a couple of mentors I loved. Alex Booth, uh, who at one time was a president of Fruitland Baptist Institute and then later on, I served as a director of missions, and we became friends. And I loved Alex. And I remember calling him one day and found out he had cancer. I didn't know. And then a few months later, he was in heaven. And still missed the guy. And then another guy, Bob Boggs, a couple of years ago, he, his wife called and said, I need to tell you something. It entered heaven. It's tough, man. Um, we cling and we clutch, and yet the truth of the matter is nothing belongs to us. We think it does. As we come in our text, Abraham is 120 years old. God comes to him, and he says, uh, This son that you love with all your heart, Abraham, I want you to prepare him to be a sacrifice. It's hard to imagine what uh, must have been going through Abraham's head. Verse 24, Abraham was now old, well advanced in years, and the Lord had blessed him in every way. Uh, That's where he was. Uh, Of course, in chapter 22, our text, he he says sometime later... there's so much we've talked about through Abraham's life. There's a lot that's happened in his life. Now it comes where God is ready to test Abraham. He wants to know, are you going to cling and clutch or are you going to surrender, Abraham? And so he says, take your son, your only son, Isaac. And of course, I cannot help but think of a picture of God's only son, Jesus. He says, go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice them there as a burnt offering. It's interesting in verse 3, early the next morning, there's no mention here in this text that he is bargaining with God. God, let me make a deal with you. I don't really like this. Can we change it some? He, He doesn't cry all night. We don't read about that. We don't read about him having this argument where he's mad at God. Why? Because he's not clinging and clutching. He realizes that this precious son that's his is not really his. Isaac, this boy named Laughter, ultimately belongs to God. And so the journey goes forward. And they begin to head 
toward Mount Moriah. Verse 3 says, they saddled a donkey. Two servants go with Abraham and Isaac. They cut enough wood for the burnt offering and they set out for the place God told them about. And on that third day, Abraham looked up and he saw in the distance the place. And he said to the two servants, hey, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Now, wait a minute. Why did he tell the servants that? What was going on in his mind? Didn't he go in order to sacrifice his son Isaac? But he says, we're going to come back. Me and the boy, I and the boy will return to you. We will come back to you. So obviously in his mind, Abraham had faith. God will provide. Turn me to Hebrews chapter 11. We get some insight into what was going on in Abraham's mind. Hebrews, Hebrews 11, 17 through 19. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He had received the promise, promises, was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. And in verse 19, we, we see what was in Abraham's mind. Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead. And figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. So in his mind, he knew God had promised through Isaac that there would be this great blessing. And he reasoned in his mind, if I plunge that blade into my son's heart, God in all of his power will raise him from the dead. That's the kind of belief, the friendship, the trust that he had in God in this difficult, incredible situation that he was facing. It was a time just to fling himself upon God. I love the way James Dobson says it. You trust what you cannot trace. So often we can't trace him, but we trust him. You know, it's interesting as we look at this section of Scripture. We've read it, so we know. We know the story. We know what happened. But Abraham and Isaac didn't. It's like when you read a book or you watch a TV show. And I know you guys have done this. And you think, don't open that door. Don't walk out there by yourself. Don't do it. Why? Because we know the danger is lurking there. We, we see it. They don't see it. Always one of these horror movies. Why does the pretty young girl always walk by herself? Come on, monster. Come and get me. You know, come on. It's all crazy. In this instance, they didn't know what was around the corner. Although we know. It's interesting here in verse 6. He says, um, Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering, placed it on his son Isaac. He himself carried the fire and the knife. And they, as they walked together, Isaac spoke up and he said to Abraham, Father, yes, my son. Abraham replied, the fire and the wood are here. Isaac said, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? We don't hear from Abraham. We, we discover that from Hebrews that he had a faith. But we hear from Isaac. You see, Isaac, this is not the first sacrifice he'd been a part of. He had sacrificed to God before with his father. He, he knew what it was like to trust God. 
He said, now, wait wait a minute. We're coming up here. We've got the wood. We've got the fire. But I don't see the sacrifice. Where's the sacrifice? See, he wasn't a small boy. He was big enough to carry this wood. So he was thinking this through. And it must have occurred to him. I'm the sacrifice. I love his answer. I love Abraham's answer to his son. He answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. God himself will provide. The Hebrew word literally is a derivative of the word to see. It could be translated, God will see to himself for that. God will see to himself for that. How many times have we been in a situation where we think, this is impossible. It's too big for God. Yeah, right. God himself will see to it. When we walk with the Lord, the Lord will provide. You think, how is this going to be resolved? Just wait. Trust. God himself will see to it. I can't give you exactly what he'll do, but I can tell you he's big enough to handle it. Abraham was able to trust in this way that that he's able to say, God will, will see to it. And so the altar was built. And... um. The son Isaac. There's no picture here of Isaac fighting. Isaac, uh, they prepare the altar. And Isaac lays on the altar. and He's bound um, by his father as he prepares to be the offering. Verse 9 says, They reached the place. Abraham built an altar there, arranged the wood, bound his son, laid him on the altar on top of the wood, reached out his hand. Took the knife to slay his son. How could Isaac do that? He had watched his dad. He walked with the living God. And he had learned to trust God. Wow. What a picture. Um, in George MacDonald's book, The Effective Father, he tells this story. I just want to read to his powerful story. It says, When George Yeager took his three sons and an elderly grandfather out on the Atlantic Ocean for a fishing trip, he had no premonition of the horror he would face in a matter of hours. Before he would step on the shore again, Jaeger would watch each son and then his father die. Victims of exhaustion, lungs filled with water. The boat's engines had stalled in the late afternoon. While increasing winds whipped the sea into great waves, the boat rolled helplessly in the water and then began to list dangerously. When it became apparent that they were sinking, the five Jaeger men put on their life vests, tied themselves together with a rope, and slipped into the water. It was 6.30 p.m. when the sinking craft disappeared and the swimmers set out to work their way towards shore. Six-foot waves and a strong current made the swimming almost impossible. First one boy, then another, and another swallowed too much water. Helpless George Jaeger watched his sons and then his father die. Eight hours later, he staggered onto the shore, still pulling the rope that bound the bodies of the other four to him. I realized they were all dead, my three boys and my father. But I guess I didn't want to accept it, so I kept swimming all night long. He said to reporters, My youngest boy Clifford was the first to go. I had always taught our children not to fear death because it was being with Jesus Christ. Before he died, I heard him say, I'd rather be with Jesus than go on fighting. He goes on, MacDonald, and he writes, Performance under stress is one test of effective leadership and may also be the proof of accomplishment when it comes to evaluating the quality of a father. In that awful Atlantic night, 
George Yeager had a chance to see his three sons summon every ounce of courage and self-control he had tried to build into them. The beautiful way they died said something about the kind of father George Yeager had been for 15 years. Get on the altar, Isaac. And he did. I love it uh, as we come to the text. Verse 14, Abraham called that place the Lord will provide. And to this day on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided is what is said. Such a beautiful picture as he has the blade and he's ready to plunge it to his son. And then the angel cries out to Abraham and he says, Stop! Don't lay a hand on the boy. Do not do anything to him. I know I know you fear God because you've not withheld from me your son. Your only son. He looked over in the thicket and what he saw? He saw the sacrifice. He saw the ram. And he went over and he took the ram. And there was the sacrifice. God had provided. God had made the way. Now, as I close this message out, uh, just a couple of thoughts of application. Uh, a question. What do you cling to? Is it some possession? Is it a dream? Is it a relationship? Is it a job? What is it that you cling to? Secondly, he replaces what you let go of with something more valuable. We are all control freaks. And we don't control anything. I am more convinced of that the longer I go on. I'm not saying don't plan. We need a plan. I'm just saying don't be surprised if God changes your plans. Because we don't know what's around the corner. But we know him. And so as we plan, as we do our best to be ready, walk with him. Trust him. Um, this is so hard. I think of Psalm 24, verse 1. Great memory verse, by the way, guys. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all who live in it. Think about it. The earth is the Lord's. Everything in it is the world and all who live in it. In other words, the people you love the most. Don't we love to use personal pronouns? Um, this is my son. This is my daughter. This is my wife. This is my grandson. This is my house. This is my church. This is my car. Really? Man, we are stewards. God can take us out any moment into eternity. It's not really mine. He can take it away. I talked real briefly to uh, Bill Court this morning, and he said, guy I work with, 51 years old. He's with the Lord now. No one expected it. He's in eternity. It's the Lord's. It's the Lord's. Um, may God teach us to let go. Third, and lastly, when God replaces, he also rewards. It's beautiful here in verse 15. Um, the promise is restated. The angel calls out. He says, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, because you've done this, you with not withheld your only son, I'll surely bless you, make your descendants so numerous as the stars in the sky, 
as the sand on the seashore, your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies, and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. It's worth it. It's always worth it to follow Jesus. We may not see it now, but we will. We will. It, there's no regrets with following him. It's, it's a beautiful trust that we can confidently count on to be his servants. But I close with a story because, you know, the truth of the matter is, as we think about this account, we think, oh, man, putting my child on an altar and, and I have to sacrifice my son. But let's be real. For most of us, the Christian life is not this huge martyr-like event. It's a bunch of small events of giving ourselves away. I want to share this with you. Fred Craddock, Fred Craddock uh, was speaking to a bunch of ministers. and I want to share your words. These are just, I love this. And I think it speaks to the Christian life. To give my life for Christ appears glorious, Fred says. To pour myself out for others. To pay the ultimate price of martyrdom. I'll do it. I'm ready, Lord, to go out in a blaze of glory. I'm not going to burn out or rust out. But guess what? We're going out. But anyway. He says, we think giving all our all to the Lord is like taking... A thousand dollar bill and laying it on the table. Here's my life, Lord. I'm giving it all right now. But the reality for most of us that he sends us to the bank and has us cash in that thousand dollar bill for quarters. We go through life putting 25 cents here, 50 cents there. Listen to the neighbor's kids' troubles instead of saying, get lost. Go to a committee meeting. Give a cup of water to a shaky old man in a nursing home. Usually giving our life to Christ is glorious. It's done in all those little acts of love. 25 cents at a time. It'd be easy to go out in a flash of glory. It's harder to live the Christian life. Little by little. Over the long haul. That is the walk of faith. No clinging. No clutching. Surrender. Let's pray. Father, as we look at Abraham and we're reminded how we cling and how we clutch. Father, give us courage to surrender. We're not told it'll be easy. But we're told that you are faithful. That the Lord will provide. Father, you know where people are this morning. You know their struggle. And you invite us to go to the mountain of the Lord. The Lord will see to it himself. The Lord will provide. It may be for salvation. Maybe there's somebody here who who needs to say to Jesus, I need to be forgiven. This being good is not enough. I need the goodness beyond me that Christ provides and he alone. Father, if there's one here that needs to trust you for the first time, And just simply be honest before you, the living God, and say, forgive me, Lord. I I take the beauty of Jesus and receive his forgiveness. May that happen this morning if one is here and needs to trust you. For others, Father, who, I don't know what the issue is, but you do. 
And I just ask that you give us courage and strength to surrender. I can't imagine how hard that was for Abraham. But you blessed him. So, Father, with our little test, whatever it may be, help us know you will provide. Help us be faithful to look to you for strength. Because without faith, it's impossible to please God. Because anyone, that's me, that's my brothers and sisters here, who come to him, well, we must believe he exists, that you are there. And that you reward those who earnestly seek you, God. So may that happen. Maybe to come to the altar to pray. Maybe to make a decision where we are. I don't know. But I ask, Father, that you do something God-sized among us. Because that's what we need. Not something that we can manufacture. But something you alone can manifest. So do that, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.